Hi, this is Steve Roost, and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week, we give you the best news, views, and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians, the companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio, the UK's largest and best talk health radio station. Um, my name is Steve Roost, and each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the CEOs, leaders, clinicians and um, founders who are driving the healthcare revolution in the UK and beyond. I am a CEO and founder of a health tech company myself called PocDoc. PocDoc is changing the world of personal diagnostics by enabling every smartphone in turning every smartphone into a um, blood-based diagnostic device so that you can give yourself a blood test just using your smartphone. I mention this just so listeners understand that I am in this sector, I am passionate about this sector, and I'm hugely passionate about the individuals and companies who are changing the world. Please make sure you follow the show, which is at Health Tech Hour on the socials. Please also follow me, it's at Steve Roost CEO. And please follow the station, which is at UK Health Radio, to stay on top of all of the content that we've got going up. The station itself has a huge number of presenters, all of whom are extremely talented, all of whom making really unique, really interesting shows. So be sure to check them out. Hello to everyone listening live um, on UKHealthRadio.com or Sonos. Hello to everyone listening on demand via the UK Health Radio website. Um, And hello to everyone listening on Spotify, Audible, Google Podcasts or Acast. Make sure to search for Health Tech Hour and look for my face. There are other health tech um, podcasts out there, but we are the best one um, in our humble opinion. So please make sure to listen to us. So um, the last couple of shows that we've had have been awesome. We had Marcel Gehring on, who's the CEO of Cited. His big thing was around what's your so what? You know, why do you get up out of bed in the morning? What's going to get you up out of bed in the morning? Theirs is around... Um, uh, revolutionizing the space of diagnostics, obviously something that I'm interested in personally as well. And then we had Jules Payne on last week, who was the CEO of Heart UK, um, who said that she had the best job in the world. So if anyone has a spare minute, I would advise you to take another listen to both of those shows because they were both excellent. Now, this week we have another cracker, um, no pressure, but we have health campaigner, TV doctor, author, Dr. Christian Jessen on the show. Dr. Christian has presented some of the most iconic health shows on TV. Um, really at the forefront, I think, of this crossover of medical content into people's living rooms, which started with Embarrassing Bodies, which I was a huge fan of. I know lots of people listening. That was kind of an iconic show. You know, it had a huge cultural following. I think it was, I I don't know, very zeitgeisty at the time. Um, I loved it and everyone I knew loved it as well. And then Supersize versus Super Skinny, again, really hit the nail on the head in terms of... um, uh, health issues relating to body weight at both ends of the spectrum at the at the time so also as some people listening will know february is healthy heart month um we covered that last week with jules Payne, but we're also going to pick that up with dr christian and get some professional advice about how to stay healthy and improve your cardiovascular health as well as all the normal stuff that we cover about how dr christian became dr christian how he became perhaps the first 
um, and most successful TV doctor of the social media age. So, Christian, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm, but after that introduction, wow, I'm glowing. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, it, I, I feel like I might have underplayed it slightly. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Good. So, um, just before we start, I just want to check. Is this a bit like royalty and I have to say Dr. Christian or can I just say Christian? What would you Please prefer? say Christian. Please say Christian. Okay. Yeah. okay. It's not like, you know, I'm going to get thrown in the Tower of London. for Or mom. Or ma'am is it, I think, actually, isn't it? Ma'am. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Ma- yeah. Well, yeah. No, let's not open up that, 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 that pronoun debate in, in the first five minutes of the show. Um, so as, as many people listening to the show will know, we generally do it in three parts. The first part is really around origins of how you came to be or our guests came to be doing all the things that they're doing. Um, the middle part is around all of the things that they they have done or are doing. I know that, Dr. Christian, your interests are very wide, you know, in a broader sense of, of health. So there's a lot that we can get into there. The yeah. final part is really around, um, you know, what the future holds and, and potentially some advice, because I, I know that we, we had... Um, a colleague of yours, Dr. Sarah Jarvis, on a few months ago, and she was she had let's just say she had an interesting view about this concept of of what she referred to as a media medic, which we can pick yeah. up we can pick <laughs> up with you as well. So, um, first of all, just to start off, how and when when when's the earliest moment you can remember that your interest in 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 health or medicine was was kindled, and and why? Well, I mean, I'm going to be brutally honest now and say that it it, it never really was i always secretly wanted to be a director and i mean a you okay. know, artsy director so that means yeah. theater or film or, or opera or something like that um okay. but <laughs> that was sort of generally discouraged as not really a proper a proper career for anybody um okay. and as i was academic and, and and like sciences very much actually i was good at science you know it was sort of suggested that i could that old lie they tell you go and do medicine then you can always go into directing afterwards um yeah. which well it, it has happened for one or two directors i think jonathan miller and people okay. like that but um and i love medicine I, you know let's let's make that very clear i have no regrets but um yeah i can't say i had you know it was a secret hampering it, it was it was okay. much more the theater i was drawn to which okay. is kind of why actually ending up doing telly as well as medicine was rather a wonderful mixture because it's sort of you know, had in that that creative side that, that directing might have contained as well, because you did have some degree of say in how you were going to film things or how you approach a certain you know scene or subject. So I, I, I'm quite sort of smugly satisfied that, that the two have been combined, although not through yeah, any real you, conscious effort of my own. You, yeah, you you managed to sort of thread the needle, and and I I think I mean look for what it's worth, I think really sort of with a with a you know trailblazer for for you know a lot of what's come afterwards um which we can sort of get into but like you could have done i mean you, you said you were good at sciences for example there's a difference between being good at sciences and pre- pursuing a kind of scientific career but medicine is like even harder than that i mean the, the the study periods are much longer the road is much harder so like did you did you at some point think right this is for me i'm gonna like crack on with this so like because Otherwise, I can't see how you would have got through all of those extra years of study and all that extra kind of work, to be to be honest. Yeah, that's a fair point. I, I, absolutely. I mean, I think once you once you once you realize you've got into medicine, you know, once you got into medical school, it all gets very real. And, and, and of course, you commit to it. And it's, it's very exciting. It's terrifying, but it's very mm-hmm. exciting. And you're, you're very quickly swept along. And then. And I think this is what all those teachers and parents who were persuading you to go into medicine knew all along. There, there is no real side view of anything else once you're in you're in you know and, right. and that's that's good in a way um 
as, as a slight sideline, I was always terribly impressed, actually. They were always sort of very frowned upon. But the people that decided it wasn't for them and stepped out, that was a huge deal, as you can imagine. You can imagine parents yeah. sort of tearing their hairs out. But, of course, what you don't want is someone who really doesn't want to be a doctor being a doctor. I, I, I right. don't think they'll make... So the people that dared do that, I was always very sympathetic for and very impressed by. But anyway, that, that wasn't me. I, I, I enjoyed it very much. I mean, it was difficult. I had a lot of issues with the way it was taught and things because okay. it was quite a long time ago now. And, and it was still taught in a very sort of... Bullying is probably quite a strong word, but certainly sort of ritual humiliation happened, you know, on the ward. Right. You, you made to feel very small and very stupid. Was, it, was, sure. it almost, was it almost a bit like a kind of hazing type thing? Kind of. I mean, this was more consultants who I think, and I certainly thought should have known better, you know, right. trying to sort of assert their superiority over us poor little students. And I right. used to think, what on earth is the point of this? What am I getting out of this? Apart from deciding that I, I don't like that person and therefore I don't like their speciality, you know. Right. Um, which I thought was rather a shame. And actually, yeah. that formed a very important part, really, of, of, of who I am now and certainly what I went, went on to do, particularly on telly, which was to decide I was never going to be like that or, right. or, you know, make sure that medicine was open, down-to-earth, familiar, friendly for everybody, you know, whether you were a trainee or patients, whatever you were, um, because it, it affected me so much. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a sensitive soul, and I think that sort of <laughs> embarrassment... It, it, is, is well, it's unpleasant for everyone, but I particularly disliked it. Um, well, and of course, like, I won't be the only one. There'll be plenty of students who really struggle with that sort of thing, and it's it's unnecessary. And I don't do think, think it happens you, anymore. Yeah, I was going to say. Do you? I mean, I, I I've not been to medical school, medical school, but our interaction from from being a founder of a health tech company and speaking to doctors and things like that, I think it may have changed. I'm sure there's still pockets, but I don't quite. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think it's the same or different? No, no. I think it's definitely. I just don't think you can get away with that sort of thing anymore. You know, which I'm, right. I'm, I'm very, I'm very pleased about. Well, but, all it's going to um, do is make worse doctors, right? It's going to make well, people absolutely, or, or, or make people demoralised or too afraid to speak up, which I guess is not really what you want. Not at all. And you know, medicine's all about communication. I mean, I think you know, I've always said. Um, right or wrongly, that medicine is sort of 90% communication and everything else you can look up, which I think right. in this day and age particularly is true. Um, yeah. If you can't communicate, you're going to struggle, I think, being a medic. Um, but, yeah. but the emphasis was all on, on you know, knowledge and particularly obscure knowledge and that sort of thing. And, and sort of being humiliated for not knowing is just going to shut you up, make you reticent, which is hardly yeah. going to inspire communication, is it? No, exactly. And, and it's, it's, it's those instances where mistakes happen, right? Where people don't speak up and Absolutely. they should have done. And then something, you know, unfortunate happens. And, and the one thing that was coming out of all this is, is just keep quiet and don't get noticed. And certainly don't right. let on that you don't know. And as right. you've correctly said, to me, that was a very dangerous thing. I want someone who doesn't know to ask to say, look, I'm really yeah. not sure. I'm going to get someone who does. That was yeah. so, you know, key to me in, yeah. in being a successful medic who doesn't harm their patients um, yes. but I didn't think that the training at that time really encouraged or inspired that but as, as you said I, I'm sure that has changed uh, you know considerably yeah. now yeah I, I would I would I would agree so <laughs> at the time where you came through um because obviously we are we, we like to talk a bit about technology on the show and one of the yeah. things I was interested to hear from you was at the time you were coming through what was the sort of prevailing view if, if any around the the benefits of of using more technology within the healthcare services the benefits potentially of digital healthcare if that was even being sort of 
talked about in in some way shape or form like what was the sort of prevailing views of the time and, and what was the sort of yeah i guess yeah exactly what were the prevailing views i think probably is well is i think question. my first memories of it really was i i went into we're going to fast forward a bit um i yeah. went into sexual health infectious disease and then sexual health and this technology really i think came into my sphere of consciousness was around hiv testing I right. think that was sort of the first, and it was extremely controversial. And again, I remember thinking, well, I remember not being really sure why. And this, this will, right. I hope, you know, segue into a, a wider discussion of, of medics and technology in general. But, sure. um, you know, HIV testing, clearly the diagnosis was, was a difficult one at, at the time mm-hmm. and not a pleasant one to make. And home testing for HIV kits was sort of being touted um, as a possibility. And they yeah. were met with great resistance from us medics, some of us medics, um, as being oh, just not appropriate, not something that you could handle by yourself as a poor little patient. Yeah, people you really needed like, big old daddy dog yeah, there pe- to, pe- to hold people, pe- people can't be trusted with the information of their diagnosis if they can make No, that's, that's exactly right. And I, it took quite a long time and, and probably some brilliantly stubborn, you know, pig-headed doctors to push that through or, or even, you know, technology um, entrepreneurs to push that through and of course lo and behold it was fine and it, it worked very well and i i yeah. know I, you might know more than i do was, was that the sort of first home test really to appear well, or, or... so so uh, strangely one of one of my one of one of the friends of the show is a lady called bridget bard who's one of the most successful sort of um, female diagnostics entrepreneurs in the uk yeah. and she was the first people she was the first entrepreneur to launch and get um ce marking approval um and and approval by the mhra for a self-test for hiv in the UK and yeah. um, we've had her on the show a couple of times and talking to her about how that came to pass was yeah. is, is really interesting because similar to the things that you just said her her she, she's not a medic but the um the push like for example even though it was CE marked which as people may know I'm sure you know that's the the legal authority to sell yeah as in yeah. you are legally allowed to sell this device in in the UK or the European market um, yeah. she couldn't um, no one would allow her to advertise so um, Google wouldn't accept advertising. Facebook wouldn't accept advertising. None of the pharmacies would stock it. Nobody would do it. So it became a sort of a, almost like an underground, you know, yeah. something in a weird way that's so, to, to us now, well, I mean, to, to me anyway, it seems so logical and non-controversial, became almost yeah. like an underground, you know, kind of ca- sort of subversive product yeah. that you were trying yeah. to get a hold of to give yourself a test to, to understand whether or not you had HIV. It was just a bizarre. And then after a while, they, they eventually managed to lobby Amazon to let them list. And then it kind of snowballed from there. But yes, it was it was exactly the issue that you highlighted, which is can someone be trusted? So, so the, the way she expressed it, which I thought was really interesting, was at the time, the the kind of people that were against it were effectively saying we would prefer someone to um, be positive for HIV and not know than we would give everybody the opportunity to test themselves. That yeah. was effectively yeah. how she sums up. Now, it might not have been that extreme, but phrasing it like that makes you think, well, goodness me, what were we concerned about? Well, and that's exactly, you know, how I remember it. And, uh, you know, we, of course, we had concerns like, is the test valid? Is it good enough? Is Accuracy the and, yes. You know, but but I'm, that actually wasn't a concern because I know there would have been checks and, and things in place to, to ensure that. This was this was more of a concern. Exactly right. Could could poor little patient handle this by themselves without big old doctor being there to hold their hand? And it just seemed 
well, it seemed odd to me. And, I, and of course, fast forward, and it's now you know, absolutely normal. Of course, patients can cope with it. And of course, it's a good thing. But I mean, the last sort of um, condition that you want to sort of drive underground and make even more taboo or secretive is HIV, isn't it? And yet that's, yeah, that's exactly. almost exactly what we were doing. Well, yeah, and I mean, that's one of the, I mean, ProcDoc isn't into HIV testing. We're focused on preventative diseases such as cardiovascular disease and things like that. But our view is the same way, which is why can people, why are people not allowed to understand their own biological situation in general? Why is that not something that we would want to do? And, and you know, and I, I think that sexual health is a really interesting area area for that. So as you moved, um, just to bring it back a little bit, when you were moving yeah. back through your medical career, and obviously you had a, you know what's the you know a, a, a deep dream to be a theatre director but well <laughs> what, um well, at what point did you kind of start to th- think about or h- how did the media thing sort of start because obviously there must have been some period where it was sort of starting but not started and like how did that sort of how was that sort of transition or journey Sorry, i'm gonna <laughs> stop my telephone ringing oh no don't worry it's right okay now. you get you get the door we'll, we'll be right here. no 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 it's the phone i'm going to just unplug it so it doesn't ring there we go um <laughs> there'll only be some emergency it'll find yeah exactly yeah off. yeah that was for another 45 minutes um <laughs> i'm so it, how did the media well, thing take come about I mean, it, it was never, it never occurred to me. I, I didn't know it existed, put it that way. You know, it, it, it wasn't an opportunity for me that I, that I thought was possible. It was purely luck that I, I was working for a doctor in, in, a, in a clinic, sort of at the weekends, I think. It was a private practice um, doing sexual health testing. And he, he used to give interviews and things on, on subjects like HIV testing and things like that, but he really didn't enjoy it. For some, you know, in the media world, once they have your phone number sort of thing and your name, it quickly passes around everybody and you are the go-to person for giving quotes. Okay. That, that's how right. it used to happen anyway. Um, and he was that doctor, but he really didn't like doing it, which was sort of sweetly ironic. Um, and I, I, he sort of pushed them over onto me. And I thought, well, that's fine. I can tell a journalist that I think this is all right or that's all right. I started doing that. And obviously someone had a, had a half a finger in, in the telly world um, and thought, well, he can string a sentence together. And I think at the time there weren't really any medics who were being, I suppose, as forward as I was, just, just talking generally about medicine. It, it was still a very, well, I've always sort of likened it to the magic circle. We were very secretive, right. closed doors, almost with a secret handshake. You know, there, yeah. there was us and them, medics and everyone else. Um, yeah. And actually, that probably stemmed thinking about it, going back to medical school. You know, the medics were always separate. We were always the yes. sort of wild ones with our, own, with our own clubhouse and, you know, that sort of thing. Yes. We were always sort of felt to be different. So I don't think it's entirely our fault that we sort of segregated ourselves off from everyone else. But that's how it was. And I okay. sort of thought, well, I didn't think this was, this was right. You know, I thought we're only people and we need to be able to communicate and relate to our patients in the best possible way. So being these sort of aloof, bow-tied, bespectacled super beings who, who gazed down on everyone else really wasn't ideal for, for that, that sort of a doctor-patient relationship. So right. I did used to speak to the media, and I, I think the very long version of the story you know, was simply that I, my name got put in front of someone who was sort of thinking about doing a telly show. And actually, this was long before Embarrassing Bodies. This was a show that I hope you will never, ever see um, <laughs> and you'll never have heard of. It was, of course, everyone will Google it now. It was called yeah, exactly. Court. It was called okay. in court. And it was actually, right. I think, rather brilliant. And it tickled every bit of me that could want to be possibly tickled. Because it was couples took each other to a sort of mock 
courtroom with a real QC actually <laughs> sitting um, <laughs> and a jury of the general public and they would take each other to court over sexual issues. Amazing. So, and I'm not going to be too graphic because I've got no, no. idea of, of sort of our restrictions on this TV show, but on this radio show, but you can you can guess the sort of thing. She won't do this to me, or I'd like her to, you know. Yeah, he, but that's, he watched that's but that was light years ahead of its time. That, it was that, light that, years. That's Absolutely that's that's years. actually very. I mean, that that could get commissioned now, right now. Absolutely, it could. It, it's so good. I don't know why it hasn't come back because. Um, it was Love it was it. so fun, um, and it was it was you know, we filmed it in a real courtroom, wonderful old sort of you know those wooden panelled courtrooms. Um, right. A real QC, so clearly knew what she was doing as far as the way court should be run. And okay. I was the expert witness, so I was called <laughs> to you know give graphic opinions on what right. it is that's being discussed and why it's good, bad, or whatever. And right. it, as you say, it was so groundbreaking, and you had couples a talking about sex, which you didn't really have in those days. Um, you had me explaining things quite graphically, which you hadn't really seen before on telly. And you had this, yeah. you know, very po-faced, but wonderful QC sort of <laughs> offering these hilarious opinions on it all um, oh, and passing judgment. And it was wonderful, actually. It, it only went to one series and then it didn't come I, back. But I I'm going to make it. a, I mean, I'm not in the business of making predictions, but I'm saying sex in court's coming back. I mean, that I can really get commissioned right now. Anyway, we're going to stop for a quick commercial break and we'll be back with Dr. Christian Jessen for more information, we're going to get into more around embarrassing bodies and how all that came about and talk a little bit more about technology and things like that after this short break. So we'll be, we'll be right back. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. How good are vitamin C supplements? Usually only a small proportion of vitamin C actually reaches your cells and has a positive effect. Whereas the high absorption levels of Goldman Laboratories liposomal vitamin C help maintain optimal vitamin C levels in your body and strengthen your immune system. Now get 10% off when you choose Goldman Laboratories liposomal vitamin C capsules. Just quote 10 off at goldmanlaboratories.com. Do you suffer from pain? B-Cure Laser, a home-use CE-approved medical device for the effective treatment of pain, is now available in the UK. The results of a double-blind trial has shown that B-Cure Laser offers a significant reduction in pain compared to the placebo group. To get your special B-Cure offer now, call free on 0808 501 5122 or Google Radio Pro London. B-Cure Laser. The station that makes you feel good. Welcome back to this week's Health Tech Hour with Dr. Christian Jessen, health campaigner, TV doctor, and author. So before the break, we were talking about your force foray into the TV world with with a show which I have to believe is going to come back in some way, shape or form, just purely because it just sounds incredible. Um, but how did you... let's move to like embarrassing bodies and and how that kind of came about because that really became a cultural phenomenon i think i mean for me it was the first it was the first it was the first moment where i can remember real taboo and borderline taboo you know uh, medical issues being not just discussed on television but 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 displayed and actually the individuals with them 
talking about them in a very open, non-stigmatized way. It was so important. Um, and I, I have to say, without harping on about it, but I think Sex and Court, for me, <laughs> it was so important that that had happened because right. I, I think if I'd gone straight into Embarrassing Bodies, I would have been very, very nervous, you know, and, and Sex and Court had kind of was my, was my you know, trial by fire. I'd done it, and I thought, well, I can't really get any more graphic than that. So yeah. going on to do Embarrassing Bodies wasn't that big a deal, actually, because, right. you know, um, for obvious reasons. But it was... It was sort of designed by this very wonderful commissioner at Channel 4, who I think was way ahead of his day, probably. Um, yeah. I think probably had a, had a finger in the sex and court pie, I suspect, because it seemed to be <laughs> this sort of thing. Um, you know, the flavour, it's got the same sort of flavour about it. But there's a, there's it, an it element was so important. We, we got, uh, you know, they, they had the two girls, they had Pixie and Dawn already. And they were yeah. struggling to find a male doctor. They couldn't find a, a man, <laughs> ironically, couldn't find a man who could string a sentence together and do two things at once. Okay. <laughs> um, no problem with the women, of course, but yeah. couldn't find one of us. And again, I think someone had seen me doing sex and calls or my name got passed and I was asked, would I like to come and have a chat with the producers about this? And still, you know, sex and court was just, something I did because I was asked to fill in for someone and that, you know, did that. It still hadn't really registered that this was a and real thing, a proper thing. Sorry, uh, just just to ju- just to jump in, and at this point in time, are you still? Were you a you were a GP or what? Were you were still practicing? No, I was still or? training. I was still doing infectious disease, hospital medicine. You know, training okay. um, through infectious disease and sexual health. So okay. these things were all sort of, you know, dangling on the sidelines in my periphery right. as as sort of fun alternative things that that, you know, who knew that embarrassing bodies would go any more than one show or something? You, no. you had no idea. Um, no. You certainly didn't really know what it what it meant or implied, you know, in the long term. So I tended to say yes to things more than I said no to things. Well, I think um, that's a good life lesson. I, I sometimes. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean to a point. <laughs> so, you know, I met the producers who clearly, when they saw that I wasn't, and, and hey, my sexual health training was was great for that because I wasn't embarrassed yeah. about talking about willies or or anything. You know, yeah. um, it was normal yeah. for me. And I think that was very important. If you had a doctor that ever looked in any way vaguely embarrassed, it would have destroyed the show, you know. Um, yeah, no, 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 exactly. It, 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 the show only works because, well, no, sorry, the show doesn't only work. That, that's a <laughs> statement. One of the elements of the show that was, I think, groundbreaking was, and this, I, I think that this, this happens when you go and see your GP behind closed doors or your, your, you know, your, your healthcare practitioner. If you go to a sexual health clinic or whatever you do, they are very yeah. matter of fact and they don't treat you in a stigmatized manner. But having that played out on the big screen about issues that, you know, are either not talked about or swept under the rug or have jokes made about them or whatever it normally is, I think was, yeah. was, was really groundbreaking. I, I agree. And, and, and we were a really good team. I, I, we, the three of us doctors, I was introduced to the two ladies we met in a bar and I, they won't mind me saying this. They got thoroughly drunk. I mean, thoroughly, <laughs> disgustingly drunk. Um, and that was quite nice, actually, because my big fear was, remember what my training had been like. You know, my big fear was these are going to be two doctors who are all about, you know, looking the best and 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 bit backstabby and always want you know weren't going to help each other out it was always going to be fighting for the mirror and it couldn't have been further from the truth we got on so well um it was those sort of fears were all allayed i think and that again to use your statement one of the reasons why i think it worked was because of that there was no sort of one trying to outdo the other or anything like that we weren't competitive Mm. um and it was just about making a good uh, interesting open show 
but can I so can I ask yeah. a question just more from a practical perspective of like how did the because you went to all of these different anyone that, that listening that did, is not aware of the show go check it out I'm guessing there's a whole bunch of stuff on YouTube or listen again <laughs> oh, yes. or watch again I mean that that the, the or you know E4 or whatever where I mean it's it's there more for um you used to go to lots of different locations different locations I think in generally every show it was yes. like a pop-up yeah. clinic where people came in and they agreed to effectively be filmed in all their yeah. glory as to what yes. they were discussing and so did you did you it was it literally as it looked you pitched up and then you just put your shingle out and who it came really was came? It, it was like it that. really was i mean okay i'm i'm doing the production team a real disservice there, there was you know there was a lot of sort of background and a lot of flyering and, and and seeing what sort of people because we had bigger cases and smaller cases and the bigger cases right. we wanted to sort of tee up beforehand make sure they were suitable from a right. from a psychiatric point of view as well as from right. all sorts of other points of views from from compliance point of views which is all the sort of legalities that goes on behind and, and that bit right. we kind of we kind of um you don't really see that bit when you watch no. and you don't really think about it but it's it's a huge and very important part mm-hmm. uh, one of the one of the criticisms we used to get that, that would really irritate me beyond, I think, all others was, was this sort of criticism of voyeuristic and exploitative. And I used to think, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Really? Well, it's so lazy. It's such a lazy criticism. Any telly is, is voyeuristic, isn't it? But this word exploitative, I, I had a real problem with because the sort of extensive checks that these patients were put through, the, the longer cases, you know, that would get fully followed up, before they were allowed anywhere near us or a camera. I just wish the, sort of, the public saw that a bit more because I think it's really important and it was very reassuring for us. We, didn't, we as doctors didn't want to be responsible for exploiting anybody, you know, at all. We were very concerned about that. But, but well, no, I, I, think, I, I think that's kind of, I think that's off the mark for a few reasons. So like, this is to be my take on it. Ultimately, anyone that came on that show came on because they had a health concern fundamentally. Yeah right like bigger larger smaller whatever yeah. that they didn't feel comfortable or or didn't want to go and have seen at their normal practitioner for whatever yeah. reason yeah. so and we see this all the time um where you know we've been we'll, we'll go to a workplace and offer cardiovascular screening and yeah. people will pop their head in they won't book in advance because yeah. even though the flyer got sent around a hundred times, they just won't book in advance. No. And then they'll put, they'll pop their head in and then you'll test them and then you'll find something. And they'll be like, Oh my goodness, I just never thought to do this. It's only because you were here. And I thought I would get this checked. And like, yeah. I actually think that it's the opposite of exploitative. I think it's actually um, going to, and then and, and you can, well, I don't know what you think, but, but thanks to COVID, you know, there's now a huge drive to take healthcare out of the surgery right absolutely economic reasons and for staffing reasons and for all you know all the long-term plan reasons all that stuff it has to move out of the surgery and actually almost like into into non-clinical community locations right well i like to claim you know being somewhere at the the forefront of that because i think that's what we did (laughs) you know um, of course, I'd claim that, but you know that's what you we were. were you, were the, you were at the vanguard of the long term plan. You were like, <laughs> I'm going I'm to say that anyway. So, but you know, we were there. We were this proof on the telly. We were we were going out there, rocking up, and just allowing people to turn up with anything. And we genuinely, you know, didn't know what we were going to get for the for the real walking cases at all. It could have been anything and everything. Which again, mm-hmm. initially was terrifying for us, thinking, God, what if we don't know? But um, 
and, and but that's I think where we miss a trick, where possibly the NHS misses a trick, is, is is sort of trying to encompass that more because you're absolutely right. People don't tend to book ahead; they tend to sort of pluck up the courage there at the moment as they walk past the door and go and go. Okay, come on then, let's do this. Um, yeah. and and that is exactly what happens, and that's sort of what we took advantage of. If we if we took advantage of anything, was was that phenomenon that, that that's how people behave. The next stage, I'm going to jump ahead and blame my own sure. trumpet a bit more, but oh, this is very relevant to what you want to talk about, was the sort of the next progression of the stage was something called Embarrassing Bodies Live from the Clinic. Now, I right. don't think this worked quite as well from a technological point of view, but again, I think it was groundbreaking because instead of having people coming in to, to a clinic and being filmed, we Skyped them, was how it worked. Right. Um, and again, I was, and I haven't talked about this at all, but all through embarrassing bodies the early days and these days i got so much criticism so much that it was very soul-destroying actually um, about what what were they criticizing oh, you for anything and everything this was not the oh, right okay. way for a doctor to behave this was unprofessional the way you talk to patients is far too casual you know this and this all came from other medics which was I think, really this was result. yeah Absolutely. i mean that's the green that's got to be a bit of the green-eyed monster there though surely well I, that's what possibly my mum used to say to me to reassure me when i was upset <laughs> you know um, but but nevertheless, you know, you do. It matters it what your colleagues think of you, doesn't it? You know, yeah, of course, well, no, it matters. And especially in a especially in a profession where there's there's so much historical precedent set on the peer group, right? Uh, like absolutely, the, the, you know, the the research and the the you know, it's a very hierarchical situation. And the peer, you're 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 as you said, like you're inculcated into being you're a member of the peer group and not a member of the patients, right? And, and, that, and so therefore, was... criticism from that group is hard to take. Absolutely. But that, you know, the reason I started off talking about, you know, the sort of experiences and training was, was I decided that I didn't want to be like that. That, that didn't work. And so having got this tele opportunity, I was going to be much more, you know, not wearing a tie, shirt sleeves rolled up, sitting on a bench next to the patients, um, rather than across a desk being all aloof and haughty, you know. Um, yeah. And, and that was a very conscious decision. Luckily, this sort of fitted in with what the show wanted anyway. But and it was yeah. encouraged, but sort of, it took such a long time, I think, for medics, not all medics, of course, I should say that, but, but for a lot of medics to sort of get used to that. Um, and they didn't like it. This word unprofessional was used more times than I could possibly count. You know, it was, yeah. and I, I just think, that, what did, does that even mean? <laughs> and did you, um, out of interest, did, did, do you feel like you took the lion's share of the criticism or, or, or did Pixie and Dawn get their fair share too? No, I think I probably took it. And I think they'd agree with that. I think just because I was the bloke there and it didn't seem right to hurl abuse at two women, it seemed better to hurl okay. at the bloke. You know? right. um, they might dis- I don't think they disagree with that. But also I think, <laughs> I think probably they were slightly better behaved than I was. I think I was more casual, you know, consciously more casual at okay. times. And certainly I used to talk about probably the slightly more graphical controversial things um right. more and so that probably invited more criticism but okay. you know I, that's fine because I'm, I'm going all over the place with this sorry but no it's we, good we, we, you know it's all good we were talking about life in the clinic which was you know we were doing skype consultations and again in came the criticism that you cannot see a patient by a video <laughs> you know, yes what, I love what it. happened to the laying on of hands you know the laying yeah. on of hands the touch is oh so important my God. Which, yeah, which no, I agree yeah. with to a degree, but it's not necessary, and not all patients want it. Um, and yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the biggest things, obviously, the last twenty-four months has seen a huge, absolutely, like a, revolu- a revolution in, in primary care, particularly, obviously, because no one could go and see their GP, and so you know everything became virtual. But the, but the biggest thing that I heard, you know, 
around around virtual gp things was like patients don't want it and i was always like that's just not true yeah. <laughs> that's just you can't make that statement in in such no. a generalized way there are definitely some patients that definitely don't want it for sure and there will be some patients with certain conditions that definitely don't want it and it doesn't lend yeah. itself to every condition but you can't just say it's not the right thing for all patients that's crazy uh, absolutely you can't and and coming from sexual health i know how nervous and terrified and embarrassed patients are with, with you know yeah. anything vaguely sexual um, is a big deal. So, so the fact that a patient has walked through the door is a, is a huge deal for them. You need to acknowledge that. But if they could have perhaps had a phone call with someone first, or or a little video consultation where you don't have to look anyone in the eye or whatever, you yeah. can you can do so much good in that short time. Even if it isn't a diagnosis and a treatment plan, it's a look. It's not that bad. I'm all right to talk to. Why don't you come in next week and we'll take this a little yeah. bit further? Yeah. And that nearly yeah. always works. Um, and, the, um, and I think particularly in light, I mean, this I think this was happening before COVID, but it's definitely gotten worse. But the um, reduction in funding for sexual health clinics, sexual health services is quite significant. Right? And I don't understand it because it's not like they're going away. You know, we may have had a bit less sex during COVID or not. The research is still pending. But, you know, it's, it's I don't understand that. Um, but, but you know, so there we were sort of doing these Skype consultations and getting absolutely slaughtered by other medics. I don't think it happened. Well, I don't think the shows were great because the Skype picture wasn't great at that time and all the rest of it. Yeah, but, but that annoying. again, but that again must have predated a lot of the general virtual GP companies. Or it must have been around. Long before, long before. Right? Yeah. It was way, it was before that, right? It was long before. Yeah, it, it really was. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm quite proud of that because I think it yeah. did pave the way for people who probably saw it and thought, well, we could certainly improve on that technology. But, but you know, we're not trying to broadcast it live. Because the other thing was this was live. It wasn't just yeah. was seeing them by Skype. It was live seeing them by Skype. So you can imagine the, the technology issues that, that happened. Oh, my goodness. Um, so we got yeah. very good at doing live telly and dealing with problems. That was the other thing. But it was, yeah, it was very groundbreaking. And the fact that people... That is groundbreaking. You do feel comfortable sitting on your own sofa, surrounded by your own things, don't you? Talking well, yeah, to it's, I mean, it's like there's just a bizarre, I just some of the arguments that you would hear for me against against video GP consultations were just bizarre. Like, like as if you're, you're, you're arguing that people want to take time off work to go to the GP, to park, to pay to park, to sit in the surgery for work. It's like, no, they don't. Some people might want to, but. A lot of people don't want to do that. No, no, or can't, you know, and, and all the rest or of can't. it. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I think it's more us medics trying to protect our jobs, you know, keeping us, keeping us safe. Well, look, and, at the end of the day, look, I think at the end of the day, you're always going to need, clini- you, you need a clinician, you need clinical judgment, but the yeah. channel that that is delivered through could, could be varied. It could be in person in the community. It could be in person in a clinical setting. It could be, it could be virtual. Like it ultimately, you need a clinical judgment, right? You can't, I don't think Absolutely. that's going to yeah. get no, taken And no away. one's suggesting there shouldn't be any, you know, that's, that's yeah. I think, misunderstood. But if there was a, a silver cloud to the, to the COVID, you know, a, a silver lining to, to the COVID cloud, I think it is that it has shown very successfully that, of course, you can do physical uh, video consultations and phone calls and, and virtual medicine very successfully. Um, yeah. And it is wanted, you know, and it is needed. It has a real place. So. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say if there's a blessing out of the COVID thing, but that's that's a good thing to come out of it, I think. But but it took its time, and why did we need a pandemic to sort of coax us medics into into embracing this sort of technology? That, that's uh, frustrating mean, that know, we're so slow to do this. Listen, I'm not sure why that I, is. I, well, I don't know. I, again, look, I'm not a medic, so it's hard for me to talk from inside the you know inside the tent. I think 
with any like it might be different in an organ in a in a in a healthcare system which isn't um nationalized potentially yeah or not i don't know and then also the issue obviously with healthcare is the risk is extremely high right so so if there's a if if you get if you make the wrong decision or do the wrong thing then the risk of something bad happening is a lot higher than in lots of other industries and so like trying to get people from move moving away from what they know works is moving away from something that people know works is just by definition a risk so i could see I, I that agree. being a very there's a there's a risk aversion baked into the system i think but why here's a question for you well why then say in a, in a very litigious society like america do i think that these sort of apps and, and this technology has been embraced far sort of earlier yeah. and, and no, more than, than it has here I, I agree. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I completely agree with you. I would, I, would, I would suggest if I had to take a punt, it's going to be related to the, um, the private versus public concept. Yeah. Like, yeah. as in, you know, healthcare is effectively privatized there. The consumer is ultimately the end payer. So they have more power to determine how they want their healthcare. And also um, a lot of these applications, like if you think about video apps, for example, video consults, a lot of yeah. that is around improving efficiency, like removing costs, making it easier, yeah. making yeah. it quicker, um, all of which helps. Ultimately, it sounds bad, but helps the bottom line of the healthcare providers in the US. Um, and so I don't know whether that's to do it. If I had to take a punt, that would be it. But I yeah. that's not that's not that I'm not an expert. So, you know. But then the irony, of course, is that's exactly what we need for the NHS. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Anyway, look, on that note, we have a break again for a commercial. Our final oh, commercial okay. and we'll come back with the last. We'll come back with the final bit. We'll pick up on that again in a couple of other bits. But yes, um, Dr. Okay. Christian, we'll talk to you in a second. Okay, bye-bye. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. Galar Light is the quantum energy emitted from the universe from the sun and stars. Now, Tom Palladino, a humanitarian and scalar light researcher, has created the world's only scalar light healing system, a system that can bring long-distance healing and wellness to humans, pets, and plants via a photograph. Get your free 15-day trial now at scalarlight.com or click on the Scalar Light banner on the UK Health Radio website. Shields like masks are top of mind right now. But did you know you have inner armor working constantly to protect you from pathogens? It keeps you healthy and thriving. It's your immune system. Ion Gut triggers the body's natural ability to support gut strength all year long, so your immune system can protect you when you need it the most. How are you treating your inner armor? Visit uk.ionbiome.com to learn more. Ion Gut. Protect what protects you. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to the final part of this week's Health Tech Hour with Dr. Christian Jessen, um, TV doctor, health campaigner and author. Um, so in the final part of the show, Christian, I want to just cover off a couple of things. So yeah, um, yeah. the first is like, how do you feel like this concept of a media medic or TV doctor <laughs> has evolved from you know, you and Pixie and Dawn, who have all gone on to, you know, all three of you have gone on to do all kinds of different media work and TV work, some medical, some yeah. not. Um, but like, how do you think it's sort of evolved to now? Generally? Well, I, I, I obviously, I didn't hear what... 
Sorry, go on. Sorry. I, I was just I didn't hear what Sarah Jarvis said, Dr. Sarah Jarvis, but I suspect I know that it, it's, it's always used as a sort of slur against us, I've found anyway. Um, as, as yeah, of... I mean, she, look, I think, I, you know, I don't want to rake over the, but that's sort of, you're in the right ballpark, put it that way. Right. So, you know, I, I would always, on, on social media or whatever, I, you're just a media medic. It was sort of like, you're not a proper doctor. So it, it's, it's always had a slightly negative connotation, which I, I haven't, I, I've never understood myself and I haven't been overly bothered by. Um, you know, I, actually, I saw a very real need for it, that there was, Again, I know I keep saying the same thing, but there was this real sense of us and them. And there was no sort of middle middleman. There was no sort of PR team trying to, trying to run between medics plus the general public with information. And of course, if you wanted to prevent disease, save money, improve the health of the nation, et cetera, et cetera, communication and education were key. And the best place position people to do that, I thought, were doctors. But, but there wasn't really any sort of outlet. Um, and then we came along and we got given these opportunities of tele shows and things. And suddenly there was an interest and, and, you know, you could write in magazines or talk on radio shows and it was so important, but, but quite again, and I know I'm being very rude about my colleagues and I should know again, the sort of the, the media medic thing was sort of sneered at by a lot of medics um, as a sort of lesser, lesser being as a thing you shouldn't really do. It was frowned upon. But I, I, I didn't understand that. Um, I think it depends it on. Really, it, it must depend on your view of, 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 of why you became a medic. Almost, it's like: Are you looking to try and? Are you looking to just see people in a clinical setting, or are you looking to try and engage with people and help them improve their health in a broader sense? You know, all of those things. Yes, right. <laughs> to all of those right. Or all, the, or, or all of the above. Why does it have to be mutually exclusive, right? Well, quite. You know, why? Why aren't they all important? I think. You think. You know, you, you educate your patients individually about things. Why not? educate them on mass about things save time um which which is sort of what media medics do but but up until again along comes covid well okay i'm going to be really rude and i apologize in advance for this, but <laughs> just as long as it's not swearing because you know there's no me. swearing but because medics are always rude about me i'm going to be rude about them you've seen right. how some healthcare professionals or scientists aren't the best communicators when they're stuck in front of a camera I've noticed. I've noticed yes okay so you know so it is i think quite a skill to be able to engage an audience and educate them about quite tricky subjects and not all of us are, are, are that good at it so you know clearly if you can string your sentence together and engage people you're, you're quite valuable and perhaps you should be stuck in front of cameras so i didn't name yeah, any each, names to, there, but... each to their each to their own but like i mean to, yeah. your, to your point if you look at someone like um you know, again, I'm not saying I agree with everything don't name names, to say, but, <laughs> but if, if someone like Sir John Bell, I don't know if you saw him over the of the crisis. Yeah, yes. an extremely effective communicator. Again, not sure yeah. I completely agree with everything he actually had to say content wise. Yeah, extreme. I, you know, I do some um, I, I mentor. So what's very common in um, startups that are technical. So, you know, have spun out from universities or whatever is that the founders are very, very technical people and they're not normally necessarily yeah. the best communicators. So I do some mentoring. <laughs> and so John Bell is actually one of the people that I show up to them and say, well, look, this is man has obviously got a hugely Im- uh, impressive scientific credentials, but he's also a phenomenal communicator. Um, yeah. Which sort of to your point. And it's quite rare, actually, you know, um, and I think, you know, you too, you go into research perhaps because you don't want to be communicating with people that much. That's yeah. a sweeping generalization, but you know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't think you can get away with that anymore. I think scientists are often required to present their data and show their research and communicate. It's important. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, to, that was a, that was a branch of medicine that didn't exist. This, this sort of the, no. the, the public face of medicine. Um, I don't know what you call it. The PR yeah, so, of medicine or whatever. Well, and, and cer- certainly not about, 
conditions or problems that that had previously been considered to be taboo or that you you know w- w- you you didn't talk about and that that certainly had never happened no absolutely so quite why again you know it's it's used as a sort of sneering slur really this term media medic but to me it was very important and there, there were lots of opportunities and you know, no, we're not all in the pay of big pharma. We do have our own opinions. But, you know, we're yeah, not- I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find who, I mean, if you re- look back at embarrassing bodies, you'd be hard pressed to find a pharma company that, you know, I mean, I'm not sure anyone would be, and any big pharma was behind that one. That's going to be, it's going to be like, you know, paying you behind the scenes for anything. Not at the time. I'm still, I'm still itching literally to do an advert for Anasol, but I've never been asked. Yeah. You know, I, do you know I, what? I Ironically, like no, I'm not kidding. My aunt was the face of Caniston for like five years. For thrush, and she 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 went for anusol. Unfortunately, she, she didn't got caniston. <laughs> yeah, she got caniston instead. Um, anyway, so um, what was I going to say? Let's talk about your campaigning because I know that you support the Terence Havings Trust, ditch the label, and the Battersea Cats and Dogs Home. So, was I, I that something was. that you, you was that something that you kind of did alongside? Are you passionate about those things? How is that sort of interwoven into your the tapestry of your of your life? It is. I mean, I've always like. I'm going to talk about the doggies first because I've got mine sitting here, and I'm amazed he hasn't barked actually and tried to. He's not very well behaved if he's been there the whole show. He has actually. But um, he I, that's something. I the, the medicine side. I, I filmed wonderfully with a with a group called Medical Detection Dogs, um, okay. which I don't know if you've ever heard of, but they they no. sort of, I think combine quite nicely with the technology arena. That these are dogs trained to detect disease. Um, and they do it incredibly effectively. So they can sniff samples, usually urine samples or swabs, for okay. cancers, for infections, I've, for COVID. I, um, I've seen stories about this. I actually never knew whether this was legitimate or not, if I'm completely honest. But it sounds like it totally is. It absolutely is. You can Google medical detection dogs. I've been, I've filmed at their, their training facilities and I've met the dogs. And they're, you know, they're usually rescue dogs who are sort of repurposed, which is a hideous word to use for a dog. But there we go. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and, and they're very happy, lovely creatures who, who just do this brilliant thing. And they did a demonstration whereby they got about eight you know, urine samples, one of which was known to have a, to come from a patient who had prostate cancer. And this okay. brilliant, I think it was a Labrador, just went straight for it, ignored all the other wow. samples. Well, actually, that's not true. They don't ignore the samples. They test every single sample and they say okay. yes or no. I mean, you know, they sort of oh, point, wow. as it were. Um, and I thought this is brilliant because, well, most people like doggies, but actually the speed and the efficiency with which they could do this if you were sort of screening in airports for for covid or something rather than a yes. temperature which is fairly non-specific yeah you know the dogs can actually smell the sort of byproducts if you like of the infection um yeah i thought this is this is a very important area that we ought to be looking into because i presume yeah. they're a lot cheaper actually than, than laboratory tests are as well well i mean i well, i don't know but but it certainly is i think the airport angle or, or any kind of mass sort of so i think i've read about them trying to do that with covid i don't know whether they actually achieved it but yeah it makes total it makes total sense it's certainly as you say significantly more has more diagnostic value than you know some kind of automated temperature sensor i mean the story in fact there's a very good guest for you to get on the show actually um oh yeah the lady the lady who found it um the whole reason this sort of came about is because she had a much loved labrador i think it was called daisy if i remember rightly who she was sort of a country lady with a barber and a Volvo, you know, that, that sort of thing. Without wishing to generalise other cars. No, 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 she'd like that, I think. She'd like that. But, you know, <laughs> lifting, lifting the boot up. In you go, Daisy, you know, into the back of the Volvo. Right. And the dog okay. would jump in. And then there was a period where it would just stop. And it started to pour her breast. It would just stop. Oh, and it wow. would put its paw on her breast. 
and this was you know sort of odd <laughs> confusing but, yeah. but nevertheless she sort of thought well you know probably then had a feel of her breast any cut a long story short you know what's going to happen a, yeah. a breast cancer was detected and oh. she was a scientist already and started thinking what is it about you know why did my dog start doing that was it just coincidence yeah. there must be more and from that we discovered that certain you know aromatic compounds were produced by cancer cells which dogs could detect and so on and so forth I mean, That's it was amazing. a brilliant story um, and, and, and turned out to give us a very effective result. So I think that's wonderful. Again, we met. Yeah, let me know her name. Let, I'd love to get her on the show. I think that's super interesting, particularly because like in that instance, so with the urine sample, I think it's, it's more understandable in the sense that there's a compound in a, a liquid sample that may, whereas actually in that instance around the breast cancer. What that means is that that tumor has emitted some sort of smell through in yeah. a localized area through her skin and yeah. clothing that that dog's been able to detect localized highly localized i think that's really interesting i, I help out sometimes on a, on a on an event called teen tech which is okay. school kids the sixth forms who who develop sort of clever or, or have ideas for, for technological innovations um not necessarily in the field of healthcare but i remember one year not that long ago and it was sort of being slightly sniggered at. And I, I, I really stood up for it. It was a group of kids who developed a bra that could smell. And of course, oh, cool. no one took that seriously. But the point of it was a bra that could detect these aromatic compounds and right. therefore could probably detect a very early breast cancer or early changes right. in the cells, which to me was absolutely brilliant. You know, but yeah, because it was a bra, of course, they all just sniggered. Um, yeah, okay. But how forward yeah. thinking is it of a group of six formers to sort of come up and develop in that? I, I still think the dogs will probably do it better um, than an electronic nose in a bra. But nevertheless. Yeah, I, mean, I think it shows like, I mean, that's that's pr- pretty next level thinking. Isn't it? It really is. It's very encouraging, actually, I think, for the future. But so yeah. that's, you know, doggies are important to me, animals. And, and that's a crossover, I think, between animals and health. But I think the next area I really, I really want to focus on, and it's probably a bit late, but it's personally important to me is, is mental sure. health okay. i think you know with with covid and everything else mental health is such a big issue for people and i don't think we handle it terribly well or we haven't done okay. traditionally i think we're getting more used to it and and like sort of paving the way in embarrassing bodies for talking about awkward embarrassing things i yeah. still don't think you know we can we, we can never talk about it too much i don't think um right it's certainly much much better than it was and, and this probably should have you know i should be doing this 10 years ago but but I still think it's important that we campaign and try and improve and encourage people to come forward and talk because mm. like getting people to come and talk about, oh, I'm worried I've got genital warts or gonorrhea or whatever. I think for people to come forward and say, I suffer from mental illness is, is a really big deal. It's still difficult. And I still think yes. apps, apps and videos and not having to look someone directly in the eye play a massive part in this. Oh, huge. And there are some, we've had some great, companies on the show like Couth is a big one they came on there's been yeah. a few others but I completely agree Unmind came on as well focused on workplace mental health so yeah, yeah. I mean I, I completely agree how, how do you I mean what what would your sort of angle be on it do you think or how are you trying to get involved and help well I'm not sure actually so I'm looking <laughs> in that I, I, I you know I've struggled with my mental health personally for for the last well a, a few years now and, and I I probably wasn't best placed to be talking about it a few years ago. I think I am better placed to be talking about it now. I've got far more insight and I'm, I'm, I'm in a better place to talk about it. But sure. I, I don't think, you know, I think that the apps and technology is, is there and is still being developed. But I still think it's hard for people to talk about it, you know. And, and I think the hardest thing for anyone with mental illness to do 
is the first step of saying, I think I've got a problem. I think I might need help. Um, yeah. And that's even before they'll engage with an app or anything like that. You know, so, so the more people like me, I suppose, dare I say, can, can sort of come forward and talk openly about it and encourage people to do that. I think the more we help people. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of examples over the last few years, particularly of men, you know, with, with, a, with a media profile, media platform, talking about it more openly, like Tyson Fury, the boxer, I know had a big impact, particularly given yeah. his sort of, you know, irrespective of how, what his sort of personal beliefs might be in certain areas, he's certainly been a huge advocate of, of mental health for men. And, and, you know, given his background as a traveller and, you know, as a boxer, you know, it's not traditional for someone like to, to speak no, about those issues no. in that way. Um, Alex George as well, social media yeah. sort of kingpin has been pretty influential, I imagine. Absolutely. This, it, it's so important. I, I, there's a danger, I suppose, of fatigue is that we get slightly bored of it. And I remember once on the HIV subject, it was, it was World AIDS Day and we were sort of trying to do interviews and I was talking to one journalist and, and they said, oh, we've sort of done HIV, really. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh, sort of what a statement. Gasping slightly. But, but I, can, I, I, I don't understand it. But I, of course I do. I know, you know, you can, you can saturate a market, a market and, and it can have a sort of a negative effect. But I think my, my worry also, it's slightly related to this, is, is the so-called influencers. Um, right. help particularly if you go online and Google sort of health advice, the number of people sort of out there making YouTube videos with totally oh, yeah. inaccurate and, and actually really quite dangerous health advice on things you should or shouldn't do is, is worrying. Um, and I'm not really yeah. sure how to deal with that, but it's something I'm going to start turning my mind to. We need, we need you, we need you back at the world needs you back in the game, Christian. Yeah. We need, well, we need you, you know, you, we need, you, we, you need to get your platform back. You need to come in and sort all of these people out. I do really don't say it is it is niggling yeah. at me and I, I really feel it's time because I think what's needed is that sort of cynical skeptical slightly sarcastic raised arch eyebrow who goes really you know a little bit more at some of these things yeah. um and trying to encourage the public possibly to question the things that they read a little bit more is, is really yeah. important don't you yeah I completely agree um we've run out of time oh unfortunately right. yeah that was much. that was Sorry. it but no 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 look it was a great show a really great it was it was fantastic to get you on and thank you so much for talking through all of those issues and all of those subjects and things like that. It was really, really great to have you on. So thanks for coming. My on. pleasure. Th- thank you for having Good. me. Good. Thanks to everyone for listening. That was Dr. Christian Jessen, health campaigner, TV doctor, hopefully soon to be back in the mix, sorting out all of this misinformation about healthcare and setting the world to rights. But yes, thanks for listening and we'll be back next week.